Welcome back to Feed the Q. I'm Adela Mizrachi, founder of Podcast Brunch Club, which is like book club, but for podcasts. And I'm Lauren Passell. I am the founder of Tink Media, a podcast marketing company, and I have two podcast newsletters, Podcast the Newsletter and Podcast Marketing Magic. And I think you're here listening to Feed the Q because you love podcasts. I want to add new things to your queue. So that's what we do on every episode of Feed the Queue. Adela and I pick something that we love, that we love listening to, that we didn't think got enough attention, and we just drop it in our feed. So we're about to showcase something that we just know you're going to love. Yeah. And today we are featuring an episode of An Arm and a Leg. The episode title is kind of long. It's Could billions in medical debt get zapped by the legal strategy in this 60-second video? So An Arm and a Leg is a show about the cost of healthcare, caveat, in the United States. So for those of our listeners who are outside of the United States, this might not be the best for you, but you might be still interested in what's going on here. Oh, yeah. If you don't live in the U.S., but you love horror stories, maybe you'll (laughs) love it. Exactly. This is definitely on the horror side. But honestly, when when you say like it's a show about healthcare, the cost of healthcare, it kind of sounds dry, but I want you to still give it a shot. The the host, Dan Weitzman, does a really, really good job of making it fun and entertaining. And he teaches you a few things. Like I have literally written notes in my phone in the hopefully never to happen event that I end up in an ER or at a doctor's office that I'm not sure is in network of like little things that I should do on all the paperwork that I sign, like cross this paragraph out and write this because they can't do that. Or if you sign it as is, you know, you're going to be on the hook for blah, blah, blah. So I just get a lot of really good tips. And it's really their stories about people. So like he's storytelling. Yeah, it's definitely it's a storytelling podcast with the slant that it happens to be about healthcare, But You're right. Like, I was just listening, re-listening to this episode we're about to share. And I was like, you know, there's a podcast called This Podcast Could Kill You. And it's about, like, medical mysteries and stuff like that. They could call this podcast, This Podcast Could Save Your Life. Because it could. And it's a shame that it's necessary. But just this one episode alone, I think, (laughs) good podcast listening recommendation Good life tip. Totally. Recommendation. Life hacks, for sure. Dan is a veteran reporter who's worked with a ton of shows that you know, like 99% Invisible and Planet Money and Reveal. And he started this show when he decided to go off on his own and he found himself without insurance for him and his family. So he decided to figure it out and document it all throughout the podcast. So thank you, Dan. (laughs) Yeah, so we're about to drop the episode, but before we do, a quick thanks to Clever.fm for supporting this season of Feed the Q. Clever is a podcast app designed for the super listener. You can actually go to the app now to get all of our podcast recommendations and by going to their Discover page. Hey there. A few weeks ago, people started tagging this show on Twitter with links to a video from TikTok. And it starts with this question. What's a piece of information that you learned that feels illegal to know? Which is a prompt. It's an invitation for folks to make what gets called a stitch on TikTok. That's a video that starts with a prompt and then stitches on a response. And the response here, the information that feels illegal to know, 
is most hospitals in America are nonprofits, which means they have to have financial assistance or charity care policies. We are looking at a white guy, early 30s, hipster mustache. This is going to sound weird, but what that means is that if uh, you make under a certain amount of money, the hospital legally has to forgive your medical bills. Let me show you how this works. And then he actually demos it, like in the 60-second video. So now we're looking at his computer screen, shows us Google. Type in the hospital name with financial assistance after it. Should be the top link. Let's check. What you want to do is look for financial assistance applications and policies. Let's check the policy. Now we're scrolling through a long document. From here, what you're looking for is a sliding scale benefits so right here. Uh, zero to 300% of the federal poverty guidelines, they will forgive 100% of your medical bills. That's this one hospital's policy. Every hospital sets its own guidelines. He looks up the dollar amount for a single person. So if you make under that amount, uh, the hospital will legally forgive your medical bills. And if you're a larger household, you can check it out from here. If you want to test it out, I run a nonprofit that does this. So uh, DM me and I will actually do it for you. Let's see if we can crush those medical bills. That guy is Jared Walker. The nonprofit he runs and where he's the only staff member is called Dollar Four. That's four like F-O-R. And that TikTok video, it has been seen more than 10 million times. I mean, you can see why I'd be interested. This is An Arm and a Leg, a show about the cost of healthcare. I'm Dan Weissman. I'm a reporter, and my job is to make this show entertaining, empowering, and useful. And if you've been listening recently, you know I've gotten very interested in the question of what rights do we have under the law when we're dealing with the healthcare industrial complex, and how do we get those rights enforced? So this, this idea that lots of us may have a legal right to get medical bills forgiven and that word is getting around, this is super timely. And could be kind of a big deal. Just to clarify the legal basics, federal law requires nonprofit hospitals to have charity care policies and to make them public and presumably to follow them. That's all true. As you can imagine, there are limits. The law doesn't say what the policies have to be, like how generous, and this law only applies to nonprofit hospitals. Some hospitals are for profit, and lots of medical providers are not hospitals. And of course, Lots of folks make too much money to qualify for charity care, but not nearly enough money to pay the bills they get from hospitals. There's more fine print, other limits. But yeah, a lot of people get a lot of bills from a lot of hospitals that they should be able to get forgiven because of this law, which is news to a lot of us. Kind of exciting news. Jared's story is super interesting. He's kind of halfway backed into the whole thing over the course of more than eight years. And what he's doing raises some big questions like... How far could this go? Here's where it starts. In 2012, Jared was working his way through college in Portland, Oregon, managing a couple of trampoline parks. And one day, his wife got a call. Her aunt Joe had died after a long battle with cancer. About 10 minutes later, I get a phone call. My cousin goes into labor seven weeks premature. The baby needs a heart surgery to live. And nobody even knew. I mean, the bills had, hadn't even come through yet, but everybody was, that was a big part of the conversation. I just thought, that seems dumb. <laughs> like, why are we talking about that? He also thought, I know we're not the only family having these conversations today. And he started wondering, how could I help some of those other families out? And it's worth remembering, this is like 2012, so GoFundMe is not yet really such a big deal. Jared looked for a place to do some volunteering, like for a group that helps people with medical bills. But I was not able to find a single one that was just directly, you know, hey, we'll pay the medical bills or we'll help with 
paying rent or putting food on the table or whatever. So when I tried to give my time to it and realized that there actually wasn't a place to give my time. And he thought, huh, well, maybe I could start something like that. And it really was like at the time it was, oh, you know, let's let's do this cool thing. Um, but I didn't think I'd be devoting my freaking life to it. It was just like, this was gonna, this was just gonna be a fun little side project. This was his idea. Get a bunch of people to chip in a dollar a month and pool that money to help a different family every month to pay somebody's medical bills. And I remember people thinking it was kind of crazy. People were just thinking like, no, you go and get really big donors. Like, that's what you do. <laughs> but Jared was like, I'm going for it. But one step at a time. He had the idea in April. In December, he put on a little benefit show at a local church to kick things off. The entertainment was pretty much slapped together. It was just like uh, my friends and some like college students that, that had a band that wanted to play. So it was just a bunch of random things, but we just like promoted the heck out of it. Jared says he got maybe 300 people there. The local TV news showed up. So I'm thinking, well, gosh, like people dig this idea. But then I started getting questions of like, oh, well, are you a 501c3 and who's on your board? And I'm thinking okay, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> like, what, what is a 501c3? 501c3 is the section of the U.S. tax code that authorizes official charities. And being a 501c3 is nonprofit speak for having an okay from the IRS to take tax-exempt donations. Having a board of directors is an IRS requirement. Jared took a methodical approach to catching up. He gave away the money he'd collected to families he'd identified, and he stopped accepting more. But he started studying up and making plans in between classes and his hours at the trampoline park. I'm working on this on the side, you know, writing a business plan and creating, you know, a pitch deck and videos and just trying to keep at it. For like two and a half years. And then I just decided, OK, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to freaking do it. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go for it. So that's what happened. <laughs> we launched in uh, August 2015. Dollar Four wasn't set up to pay him a salary at first. He and his wife had some savings, and for a while they were basically crashing in her parents' basement, and he took little side gigs. I mean, I was bartending at night, and I was working, like, events and just hustling around trying to get some money wherever I could. And he was collecting dollars one at a time and finding families who could use some, taking referrals from social service agencies. It worked. In Dollar Four's first full year of operations, they gave away $80,000. And this one time? It seems like Jared actually used this charity care mechanism to get debt forgiven, accidentally. He'd raised money for a young woman, but it wasn't enough to cover the whole hospital bill. I was doing my thing. I, I called the hospital, you know, trying to talk this bill down, trying to figure this out. And I'm telling the whole situation. And the hospital was like, oh, what's the address? We'll mail you this packet. And I was like, okay. So we fill it out and that family called me and was like, oh, they basically wrote off the debt. And I'm just thinking, oh, that's awesome. Like some donor at the hospital foundation or something must have just said, oh, I'll cover the bill or something like that. I mean, it really did not sink in at all. And then he got a new board member, Eli Rushbanks. I'm a consumer protection lawyer. Who had a very definite idea of what he wanted to do. In the course of his consumer protection work, Eli had picked up on the legal mechanism that Jared eventually distilled into a TikTok video. Nonprofit hospitals are required to do charity care, and you can hold them to it. I had a client, and I was beating my head against the wall, and I just stumbled upon this administrative code that referenced charity care and pulled on that thread. Suddenly, what had looked like a hopeless case was done. Debt canceled. 
He was like, this is a thing. I was trying to shout about this from the rooftops. Other attorneys were not super encouraging. They didn't know anything about it. They didn't really get it. They kept telling me, I don't think there's a practice there because if the clients are already in debt, they probably can't pay your fee. So like these kind of older mentor attorneys were trying to steer me away from it. But I was just vocal about it. And eventually somebody said, you should meet this guy, Jared. They met for coffee and Eli agreed on the spot to join the board. He thought Jared's group Dollar Four was basically a perfect vehicle for using these laws. What I was trying to do in private practice was not nearly as effective what it could be under the banner of Dollar Four. Jared didn't immediately see it, but Eli seemed like a good dude. You know, having an attorney on, on the board, because like, I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So our values definitely aligned from the first meeting. So it was like, yeah, dude, like, let's figure this out. And if this is a thing, then let's explore it, you know? Jared was being polite because, you know, he wanted Eli to join the board. At that point, I'm still thinking like, okay, man, like this isn't real, (laughs) you know. He was like, no, let me show you how this can work. And so I said, well, the next person you get in, send my way. We'll go through the process. We'll see if we can get that debt forgiven. Guess what? It worked. Jared remembered that case he'd worked on earlier. And I was like, man, this this is weird. I think I did this once. Eli, I think I did this on accident before. Okay, the light's going on. Then they do it again, and it works again. He got a couple bills to go away, and I'm thinking, what the hell have I been doing this whole time? So once Eli showed me that, I was like, okay, well, we're changing our model real quick. (laughs) They took their time. They wanted to go big. Eli had a background as a web developer. They compiled the charity care policies from all the local hospitals and built a website where you can plug in your income, pick your hospital off a menu. And it would tell them if we thought they would qualify and for exactly how much. And then it would send them through and and we'd kind of walk walk through the application. The website went live at the beginning of 2019. That year, Jared says they worked with maybe 80 or 100 families and helped them through the process. Then in 2020, he says that number about doubled. He estimates they helped make $2 million in charity care happen. And then, in late 2020... My little sister, Grace, was like, yo, you need to get on TikTok. And I'm thinking, no freaking chance am I getting on TikTok. I don't want another platform to worry about. I don't want to have to create more content. I hate social media. But they already had a freelancer who was helping them post to Instagram. They let the guy make a TikTok, a kind of We Are Dollar Four promo video. So just, you know, threw it out there and... I was kind of like, oh, cool, you know, 500 people have seen this video. That's great. Then Jared saw that prompt. What's a piece of information that you learned that feels illegal to know? And right when I saw that, a bunch of people were doing these stitches on it saying, oh, like basically tax loopholes was kind of the big popular one that people were talking about on it. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking charity care and financial assistance. I was at the office late one day and made a a TikTok. (laughs) So I posted that uh, Friday night, and then I woke up on Saturday, and the video had like 50,000 views, which I was like, just, that's, you know, a hundred times what I thought it would ever be. And then in the next like 10 minutes, it had 100,000 views, and I'm like, oh wow, this is really picking up steam. And now it's 10 million, and that's just on TikTok and Twitter. I haven't figured out yet how to track views on Instagram, but Jared said somebody with millions of followers posted it there too, so, all right, because of course, This is a big deal. Millions of people now have declared bankruptcy over medical bills that they legally didn't even have to pay if they knew about this. And that's like, 
that should upset people. <laughs> yeah, and I think and I think that that's why it just went crazy on on TikTok. And it raises some really interesting questions. Mainly, now what? How far can this go? And what we don't know about that yet? That's the interesting part. That's right after this. So, okay, Jared and Dollar4 have a super viral video. What next? Well, first, they've got a lot of messages to answer, which they asked for. In the video, I say, yeah, test me. Like, shoot me your info and I'll, I'll do this for you. <laughs> yeah, that really backfired. <laughs> no. He says he's gotten thousands and thousands of messages. We're just scrambling to try and respond. My niece is like 16. I was like, yo, here's my credentials. Get on here and start replying to people. Copy and paste this message. And I'm just rallying the troops. So, for instance, Jared's been booking lots of hours with local virtual assistants, thanks to one of his board members who runs the company they work for and is cutting Jared a deal. They're moving so fast. Jared says they're running into a new problem. After you reply to a certain amount of messages on TikTok, TikTok thinks you're a bot and they lock you out. Yeah. Oops. He says he's working on it. Meanwhile, messages are coming in from Instagram and Twitter and email too. But Jared says this kind of follow-up, it's necessary. It's not enough just to tell people, hey, you have these rights. Because the follow-through takes work. It takes patience and it helps to know what you're doing. The hospitals are going to make you, they're just going to make you jump through these hoops. You know, hey, we, we want these pieces of proof of income. And then you send them in and they say, well, we want, we want this and this too. And then, oh, well, okay, you know, send us this. You know, you're doing this snail mail thing back and forth. It's like, this is crazy. Like, this should be easy. But it's not easy. <laughs> it's gotten easier for Jared. He's done hundreds of them. He says he can get some cases dealt with in an hour if the person has sent in all the right info on the first go and if the hospital is playing nice. But that's after a lot of practice. And this is his job, not something he's stealing time to do. And he's not in a medical crisis himself. If you just got diagnosed with cancer or, you know, you just need an advocate, you just need someone that can help you and, and hold your hand through it. And that's like, that's what we want to be. Jared and Eli say they're just starting to think about how to scale up. Dollar Four is a really tiny operation. Jared is the only permanent person on staff. He was working out of coffee shops until the pandemic wiped those out. The pandemic also made office space cheaper, so he's rented a little spot a few blocks from home. And right now, he's got a lot of TikTok messages to answer. So thinking about how far this could go, one question is, how can Jared and Eli scale up? And another question, a bigger one really, is how much of this stuff is there to do? How much medical debt could be written off, crushed, like Jared says, if everybody just applied for it, especially with someone like Jared in their corner? Like, what's the universe? I've done some poking around, and the answer, well, the answers really, are what you might expect. Like, number one, nobody really knows. But number two, from what we do know, it's definitely a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. Let's start with what we do know. In 2019, our pals at Kaiser Health News published a story. Patients who are eligible for charity care get big bills instead. And this is not based on a few anecdotes. The reporter, Jordan Rao, he pulled tax records for thousands of nonprofit hospitals. And almost half of them had told the IRS, oh yeah, that's something we do. We send bills to people who could have qualified for charity care under our own policy. And of course, the details were heartbreaking and enraging. One hospital told its workers never voluntarily offer patients a charity care application. 
If the patient asks you for one, you blow off that request and insist that they give you a deposit. And you do that three times. If they ask you a fourth time, then okay, give them the application. The state attorney general sued that hospital. Some states have their own laws about charity care and got a $22 million settlement for patients. The lawsuit said that even when patients did manage to get charity care applications, the application itself was so complicated, half of them were rejected. One former patient who talked to Jordan said it was, quote, like a book you had to fill out. She remembered a question about the make and model of her car. She said, I was like, you want me to sell my car to pay my hospital bill? A former employee there talked to Jordan and called it a money-making system. She said, people would be crying at registration desks. I mean, of course they were. Some of these hospitals went on to throw folks into collections or even sue them. You may remember a story we did about a journalist named Wendy C. Thomas from Memphis. She called out the biggest hospital in town for suing thousands of patients. And her reporting caused them to back down, actually. Journalists, I love it. According to the numbers in Jordan's story, it looks like that hospital itself believed that half of the folks it was suing qualified for charity care under the hospital's own policies. I mean, I'm not here to piss you off, but when we look at how much financial assistance hospitals could be giving out under their own legally mandated charity care policies, it's a lot. And we really don't know how much. Those IRS files Jordan pulled, the IRS only requires hospitals to report two things there. One, how much they write off every year as bad debt. In other words, bills the hospital has given up on collecting. And two, how much of that bad debt amount was for bills to patients who, by the hospital's own estimate, probably qualified for charity care. So as you can imagine, there's a lot that could be missing there. Like, for instance, what about money the hospital actually collected from patients who would have qualified for charity care but didn't get it? Who found a way to pay their bill or part of it? None of that is counted here. And I talk with experts. Nobody knows how much that could be. There's no requirement that hospitals track it or report it. And given how aggressive some of these places are about collecting, I would guess that number is pretty high. And there's this. These are just the hospital's estimates, their say-so, about how much they could have written off as charity care. And here's where it's worth looking at the other side of the numbers from those IRS reports. So 45% of nonprofit hospitals told the IRS they were pretty sure they'd sent big bills to patients who probably qualified for charity care. Just doing the math here, if 45% of hospitals said, yeah, we do that, that means 55% of hospitals said they do not do that at all. The IRS asked how much of your bad debt could have been forgiven as charity care, and 55% of hospitals said zero. Here's how one expert describes that kind of answer. If you're putting a zero down, that kind of means that you're saying to the outside world that your financial assistance program is perfect, that you're finding everybody who might have qualified for charity care and they're getting it. That's a consultant named Keith Hurl. And when I say expert, I mean, he's a guy that regulators like the IRS hire to help them make and enforce their rules in the smartest way. And he's a guy that hospitals hire to help them make sure they're complying with those rules in the smartest possible way. This idea that 55% of hospitals are doing a perfect job of finding everybody who might qualify for charity care and making sure they get it, 
it sounds uh, unlikely to me. I mean, Keith says some hospitals do go out of their way to find people who qualify for charity care and make sure they get it. He says there's even software they use to check like, hey, is this person poor? Let's write off their bill. Keith says there's at least a couple of solid business reasons for hospitals to do this. One is some hospitals ask themselves, why are we going to spend the money, uh, staffing, collections agency, all that, those resources to go after collecting bills where we just know that it's unlikely that we're going to actually collect anything. In other words, trying to squeeze blood from a stone is not a really profitable activity, and it's easier just to write it off as charity care to start with, and it makes you look good. And Keith says there's a second reason to document a bill as charity care instead of bad debt. The feds actually offer a reward to hospitals that do more charity care. It's a pool of dollars, and think of it as like a a pie. It's like a $12 billion pie. The more charity care you do, the bigger your slice. And you only get pie if you do more charity care than most hospitals. So if you've got a bunch of bills you're never going to collect on anyway, counting them toward charity care at least gives you a shot at getting some pie. And Keith says, of course, hospitals have other reasons not to book too much charity care. He says you don't want to get a reputation as being the most generous place in town because then everybody will come. Great, right? All this is to say, the amount of money that hospitals could be forgiving under their own legally mandated policies but aren't, the amount of suffering that could get short-circuited here, it's huge, really huge. Jared says the messages he's gotten so far document tens of millions of dollars in bills he thinks could be forgiven. And this too. He says he's already seen more than a million dollars in bills actually get forgiven just a few weeks after he put out that TikTok video. I mean, every morning I wake up, people messages saying, hey, um, I saw your TikTok, changed my life. I had $15,000 in medical bills and the hospital just sent me a letter, it's gone. (laughs) And then there was one that was like 260 grand, something like that. And then there's what he's already been able to do because he knows his way around, including some state-specific laws that give us even more rights. In Washington, this literally happened yesterday one of the virtual assistants that I that I work with, I, she had some medical bills. And she had been on a payment plan for the last two years. She qualified for charity care. Hospital wrote her check for about five grand. She got it yesterday and they wrote off the rest of the debt. So you can't do that everywhere. But in Washington, if you have been on that payment plan, I will get you that money. So Jared, he's overwhelmed and encouraged. Here's how he closed out our last conversation. I'm excited. We're going to help a lot of people, and uh, hopefully we can get some funding to scale what we're doing, because shit's wild. That it is. I love this story so much. Jared's organization is called Dollar Four. That's dollar F-O-R. The website is dollarfour.org. They're on TikTok and Instagram and other social media, and I'll be keeping an eye on them for sure. And none of this is a total fix for what ails us. But holy cow, man, we keep finding these little pockets of wiggle room, stuff we can do to help ourselves and help each other. And I just love getting to do this show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Because of you, we're here every two weeks with a new episode for the duration. Thank you. And thank you for being my eyes and ears. I learned about this story because of you. The day after Jared posted his video, you tagged me on Twitter, and I got email from you too. My inbox is full of tips, of horror stories, and of people saying, yes, how can I help? And you have some great ideas. It's going to take me a minute to catch up, but I'm working on it. 
Meanwhile, you have no idea how much you are helping already. Please keep it up. Armandalegshow.com slash contact. I'll catch you in two weeks. Till then, take care of yourself. An Arm and a Leg is produced by me, Dan Weissman, edited by Marion Wang. Daisy Rosario is our consulting managing producer. Adam Raimunda is our audio wizard. Our music is from Dave Weiner and Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Jordan Rao of Kaiser Health News, Saye Nikpay of the University of Minnesota, Carrie Chapman of the Legal Council for Health Justice, and Stephanie Goldberg of Crane's Chicago Business, who all lent their expertise for this story. This episode of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit news service about healthcare in America, an editorially independent program of the Kaiser Family Foundation. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with Kaiser Permanente, the big healthcare outfit. They share an ancestor, this guy Henry J. Kaiser. He had his hands in a lot of different stuff, really different. Poured concrete, like for the Hoover Dam, smelted aluminum, built ships, owned a bunch of TV stations. Busy guy. When he died more than 50 years ago, he left half his money to the foundation that later created Kaiser Health News. You can learn more about him and Kaiser Health News at armandalegshow.com slash Kaiser. Diane Weber is national editor for broadcast, and Tanya English is senior editor for broadcast innovation at Kaiser Health News. They are editorial liaisons to this show. Thanks to Public Narrative, a Chicago-based group that helps journalists and nonprofits tell better stories for serving as our fiscal sponsor, allowing us to accept tax-exempt donations. You can learn more about Public Narrative at www.publicnarrative.org. Finally, thank you to some of the folks who have pitched in at armandalegshow.com slash support. Thanks this time to David Ho, Camille, Holden Corral, and Peg Harper. Thank you. And we're back. So what'd you think? We hope you liked it. And if you did, you know the drill. Go do two things right now. Go subscribe to An Arm and a Leg and let us know you subscribed. We'll include all the links to subscribe and ways to get in touch with us in the show notes. So Lauren, let me ask you a question. What did you feature in podcast the newsletter this week that we're recording? Well, a ton of stuff, but I always have this section called if you only have time for one thing, because I give a lot of recommendations and I realize that not everyone is like me and listens to millions of podcast episodes a week. But there is this new show called Mother Country Radicals. And the first three episodes, I listened at one point zero speed, which is very rare for me because it is so rich and detailed. I didn't want to miss a thing. So this guy named Zed Ayers is the son of this like radical left-wing weather underground leader group. So his mom and his dad were like on the run from the FBI and he was born like underground. And they were just like doing these radical things like, you know, political stuff, bombing things and, you know, based on any means necessary for radical change. And it's just kind of like about his life and his parents' life and how unusual his childhood was and also how normal his childhood was. But also there's a lot of instructional information about starting a revolution. Like I feel like I could start one. <laughs> no, Interesting. It's so good. It's just well done. I was tapped in. So mother country radicals. Okay. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. What about you? What kind of lists are you working on over at Podcast Brunch Club? Well, um, this month that 
we are recording, which is June, we are featuring episodes about dreams. So we will be getting together in cities all over the world to talk about a playlist of five episodes. And one of the ones that we're listening to is about lucid dreaming, which is honestly... When I heard about it, I was like, this is BS. There is no way this is true. Like, I honestly thought it was like hocus pocus. Then I started doing more digging into it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is for real. So the episode is from the Mind Valley podcast. And the episode I'm talking about is called How Lucid Dreaming Can Change Your Life. You can find the whole playlist at podcastbrunchclub.com slash dreams. But lucid dreaming is like basically being conscious that you're dreaming in your dream and then sort of like manipulating your dream and doing things, but like actually feeling it and experiencing it. So like you could fly or you could like go swim with dolphins. And I was like, nonsense when I heard about it. I was like, no freaking way. There's no way. But then honestly, I started doing more research into it and I was like, holy crap, this is for real. Like people are talking about the power of lucid dreaming in the same way that they're talking about like the power of psychedelics to like confront trauma. And like, I I was like, I don't know, that seems like a can of worms that I don't know if I want to open, but I'm still fascinated by it. Can you train yourself to do it? Yeah. Yeah. Listen to this episode because he actually talks about it. And then there's subsequent episodes. And if you find this guy, particularly Charlie Morley, he gives you sort of like tips like you're supposed to you have to like wake up and just sort of lay still for like five minutes in bed just to remember your dream because a lot of times it just sort of poof like as soon as you wake up if you don't like consciously try to remember it you won't remember it and then start a dream journal so then write it down and then there's these things like anchoring where you're supposed to like look at your hands during the day and just be like am I dreaming and ask yourself all the time, are you dreaming? It's weird. It's weird. I'm not going to go into too many more details. I feel like I've taken up enough of people's time about this crazy, like, lucid dreaming thing. But honestly, if you're interested in it, just go find the playlist, listen to some of the episodes on lucid dreaming in that playlist. What's more interesting, lucid dreaming or our healthcare system? (laughs) I feel like... God, I don't know. Lucid dreaming opens up possibility of healthcare <laughs> system. Makes me so sad. They're kind of like, hard to compare, I guess. They're uh, yeah. They're uh, it's a can of worms. Both of them are yeah. And different lucid cans dreaming could help with health. So like that's kind of like the it could be like a thing that helps you sort of mentally. There's like a lot of uses for it that they talk about. Even like literally training physically in your dream can get you better at you know, doing things in real life physically. So anyway, again, just trying to tie it all together somehow. I went, (laughs) I went down a rabbit hole with that. So thank you. Thank you for that. I love podcast rabbit holes. Yes. Yes. Okay. So what do you want people to listen to? If you're absolutely loving a podcast that you want more people to know about, let us know. You can email us at feedtheq at gmail.com or reach out to us on social All the links are in the show notes. Thanks and happy listening.